Hey, it's really exciting this morning. We're finishing our Eastertide series. Um, for Eastertide, we have been taking a big glimpse at the Easter story. And what we've been doing is asking that um, quite confronting question, which is, what do you do with the Easter event? What do you do with the Easter event? What is it to you? And often uh, as a community or as Christians, we have Easter and then we kind of just move on. That was done. Tick. Into the next thing. But as a community, we've just been um, trying to linger a little longer in the season of Eastertide. Do you want to throw that up for me there, Dave? And uh, today, it's, it's a really exciting thing for me to be welcoming a, uh, a special speaker. Uh, the person who's going to be speaking today is Patrick Trace. Patrick, do you want to come on up? If you don't know Patrick, Patty, uh, he's been studying through Vineyard College. He started last year with us. He's doing his second year of Vineyard College training. Um, he's, he'll tell you a little bit more about that as he goes on this morning. Uh, but today is his first crack at doing this with us. And uh, it's going to be so great. It's so good to have you, Patty. We trust in the work you've done, the mahi you've done to this moment. And what you're going to share is an absolute gift to us. Plus, I'm enjoying having the morning off. This is great. So we're going to... Yeah. So let's pray for him, eh? Let's pray for this young man as he's going to do this with us today. Lord, we bless the work that Patrick has put into this point. We bless his study. We bless his prayer. We bless his care over the words that he's going to say. His care of the scriptures. His care of theology. His care of philosophy. His care of your kingdom. Lord, we bless it today, and we acknowledge that we receive what he's about to give us as a giant gift. Lord, thank you for the gift of his hard work so far. And now, Lord, we ask by your spirit, you would come and you would bring life to these words, that they would not just be uh, words on a page or on a PowerPoint, but they would be like, like living words that would cut deep into our souls today, that would cause us to think, and that would cause us to rise up to this idea of what happens when Christ has ascended, leaving his disciples behind. Lord, wake us up to that today. Encourage us, challenge us, care for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Patty. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, everyone. Um, we're going to start off with scripture. So if you could all stand with me as we read together. Um, if you have a Bible with you, feel free to follow along. If not, there's some over in the front corner that you can have and actually just keep if you want them. Um, we're going to be reading from Luke 24, uh, verse 50 to 53. This is the word of the Lord for us today. When Jesus led them to Bethany... And lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Luke's account of the ascension here is brief, um, but he, he repeats and re-records uh, in Acts 1. Acts 1, 6-9 So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? 
He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. There's one more thing I'd like to read for us this morning, but um, you can all be seated. Thank you. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That was the Apostles' Creed. Um, some of you may know it, some of you might not. Um, it was written by the early church and finalized around 300 years after Jesus' time on earth. Um, it's a confession of faith, a set of words that the whole Christian church at the time could agree on. Uh, and that's actually what the word Catholic means, if anyone's weirded out by that. It could also be said, I believe in the holy united church. This creed isn't long, but those who wrote it saw it necessary to add in lines about the ascension. Doesn't that seem strange? The beliefs of the early church condensed down to a small statement, and they decided to add two lines about the ascension. My experience has been that we don't really talk about the Ascension much. We as a global church for a long time now have neglected this part of Jesus' story and what it means for us. So as we come to the end of Luke 24 and the end of our Eastertide series, we're going to be wrestling with Jesus' Ascension, what it meant for the disciples that he left behind and what it means for us. We've been guilty of reading the story and focusing on the clouds, the movement, the mode of departure, instead of where he's gone and what he's doing. Before we move on, a note on this mode of departure, the cloud. This word cloud and its misuse, and it sums up the muddle we've gotten ourselves into. As we look at the other biblical uses of the word cloud, we find that really the cloud is the physical manifestation of the glory of God on earth. Jesus didn't hop on a magic carpet. He was taken up into God's space, and there's still some mystery around that. 
When we think about Jesus' ascension, we think of heaven. We think of the heaven of TV shows and movies, like the heaven of The Simpsons. Sure, the guy's yellow and he's on an escalator, which feels like a bit much, but this isn't too distant from what a lot of our ideas of heaven looks like. Um, consciously or unconsciously, our minds fill with images of babies with harps, streets made of clouds, and our hope becomes wrapped up in the idea of leaving this place and going to that place. We read of the ascension with these images in mind, and we create for ourselves a picture of the age to come. We buy into the left behind narrative. And I couldn't do a talk that was titled Left Behind without showing Nicolas Cage, so there you go, everyone. Um, yeah, we buy into this left behind narrative that's rife in our media and cultural mind. The narrative is that Jesus is going ahead to make our bed in the clouds until the day he divinely rescues us from this earthly existence so that we can join him in the disembodied future heaven. We're brought into a disembodied hope, a hope that has no substance. We believe we're heading somewhere else and that we will be without all the earthy things of this creation. If we believe that, so much of who we are now and what we do now ceases to matter. The focus of the Easter event has been put on the wrong thing. This is a still from one of the Bible Project videos called Heaven and Earth, and it sums up this mistake of ours and presents us with the true alternative. Our hope as Christians has been distorted. Our hope has been in this jump from our space into God's space, instead of God's space invading ours and restoring it. This distortion of what we hope for carries severe implications for the way we live now, how we relate to creation, others, and ourselves. When we fall into the trap of seeing our souls as the only part of us with eternal value, we unknowingly create a distance between us and the kingdom of God. We step further away from his hope for a renewed creation where bodies are resurrected and the entirety of creation is restored. This is called functional Gnosticism, which is a word we're going to learn more about in our upcoming series and it changes how we live, how we think, how we act, and how we worship. The Ascension sits at the end of the Easter story and at the end of our Easter Tide series. It raises a lot of questions. Where did Jesus go? What is he doing? Is he still human? Is he still a he? When we reflect deeply on the Ascension and hold it in the whole of the biblical story, we will begin to find some answers. So if Jesus' ascension was more than just his Uber ride to heaven, after doing what he came to do, what is it and what does it mean for us? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, just a small topic for the interns first sermon. Um, thanks, team. As part of my internship here, I've been studying through Vineyard College, as Dan said, um, and by chance, or maybe not, I've just completed a paper on the Ascension, and in doing so, I've read a lot of smart people talk about the many important implications of this part of the Easter event. So let's talk about what's happening in today's scripture. Jesus isn't slipping out the back door. He's moving to a different place of service. His Ascension was his exaltation. He left earth to go take his place at the right hand of the Father. 
He's gone to take his place as our exalted priest king. This role means he's active now. He's not just sitting in heaven for the, waiting for the day of his return. And there's an important thing to note in these accounts of the ascension. Jesus didn't leave his body behind. His soul didn't leave his body. He did not leave his body in a collapsed heap. He also didn't die of old age. He took his fresh, resurrected body into God's space. This resurrected body was different from his old body. It was not only still human, it was more human. It could walk through walls and more. We can only hope. Um, this movement from our space into God's space means Jesus sits enthroned with the Father, still human. The ascension demonstrates that God has placed a human being at the helm of the universe. And that statement, that statement really starts to impress upon me the reality of God's value of humanity and creation as a whole. And this is where the ascension starts to really make an impact. Jesus' bodily ascension is God's big yes to this creation. Our hope as Christians is not only in God who came, died and rose, but continues to rule and work for our good in the midst of this messy world. He is our mediator. He continually holds his work of death and resurrection before God the Father as he intercedes on our behalf. To quote N.T. Wright, which feels like a must as I preach to you for the first time this morning, um, Jesus is our man in heaven. Our man in heaven. This reality of where Jesus is and what he's doing is beautiful, worth reflection and study, but it's only half of what's going on in the ascension. Jesus has left his church behind. He's left his disciples behind. And this is the second time Jesus has left his disciples. But this time they know where he's going and they know what that means for them. Luke records that they were filled with great joy and worshipped him in the temple. This time they are not filled with confusion, disappointment, fear and doubt. Their king is not nailed to a cross or laid in a tomb. He is reigning over all creation from his heavenly throne. They were filled with joy and with worship. And they, they have been called to continue the work of God on this earth. This is a very different moment from the last time Jesus left them. Jesus left the disciples. Jesus left us. The ascension had huge implications for how the disciples move forward from that mysterious moment. And it has huge implications for us. The bodily resurrection and ascension of Jesus has redefined our hope. It has affirmed our physicality. It has given the disciples and us a new identity. We are the people of the resurrection. Our people whose victory is in the resurrection of Jesus and whose hope is in the resurrection of our bodies. The end of Romans 8, 23 says, We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We are the people of the resurrection. And our victory is in the resurrection of Jesus. And our hope 
is in the resurrection of our bodies. So how does this work out in our lives? How has this worked out in my life? Well, some of you will remember a while ago, a guy called Brian Zand came to teach us about prayer. We left our time with him with a small liturgy to use. It wasn't that small. It was very long. Um, a liturgy to use in our personal prayer time. It had in it a line that said, hasten the coming of your kingdom. This line is taken from Second Peter. In reflection of my own Gnostic tendencies, I remembered back to my struggle when praying for the hastening of his kingdom. Implicit in my struggle was a fear of missing out on created pleasures, such things as vocational fulfillment, travel, art, food, marriage, sex, parenthood, and more. My fears revealed that I unconsciously think or thought that God's redeemed creation is going to be missing these things. But the bodily ascension fills me with the hope, the true hope, that God's redeemed creation is going to be physical. A deep reflection on these beliefs and a change in practice has strengthened my hope in what God has ahead and relieved my fears in the present. But this reoriented hope affects far more than our personal desires. These underlying beliefs have worldwide implications. Right now, creation is groaning in hope of a humanity that would take charge of the stewardship of nature and see this earth as God's intended location for our eternity, not as a disposable prototype. Right now, an entire generation, my generation among others, is crying out for sexual renewal and affirmation, for someone to make sense of their humanness and sexuality in light of a fully restored physical kingdom to come. Our emotional lives are also caught up in this distortion. We've divided our emotions into the good ones that we carried into heaven with our souls and the bad ones that will be done away with along with the rest of this messy world. This leaves us emotionally insecure with an inability to feel like complete integrated humans. All these issues about how we as created humans live in this world right now in the light of the world that is to come the world, the kingdom that is already breaking in. These issues need people led by the resurrected Jesus through the Spirit to practice resurrection in an embodied way. We need to see our humanity and the rest of creation as good and worth saving and hope for a future where God will finish the work that he has started. God is going to restore all of creation through the incarnation death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we see God's high value for this material, physical creation. The inclusion of the entirety of creation in his saving plan shows us that we have to take seriously our participation in this restoration. We must move from our misplaced desire to save souls, only save souls for the kingdom that is to come, to a more holistic view of salvation and participation. Christ is a human person, sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning over all creation, who promises to come again to restore and redeem this world, and he asks us to participate. 
We need to take seriously the call to manifest the coming union of heaven and earth in all areas of creation. We must, of course, still share the good news, but we must also enact it. We must care for our environment, create beautiful things. We must build up the uniqueness of human cultures. We must elevate the humanness of female and male. We must work for the physical health of all people, not just their spiritual status. We are embodied humans on a physical earth, and the age to come will be no, we will be no less human, and the earth will be no less physical. It can't help to come to mind as I prepared this talk. Um, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, there is a scene uh, that depicts this future hope in a physical heaven beautifully. This book is a fiction, and Lewis begs his readers to hold it as such. Uh, and in doing so, we again fight against our temptation to distort our future hope. But in this story, a bus full of people have arrived at the edge of the heavenly realm and they're making their way off the bus into this strange and foreign place. The narrator explains, I gasped when I saw them. Now that they were in the light, they were transparent. They were in fact ghosts, man-shaped stains on the brightness of that air. I noticed that the grass did not bend under their feet. Even the dewdrops were not disturbed. Then I saw the whole phenomenon the other way around. It was the light, the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different substance, so much solider than the things of our country that men were ghosts by comparison. What a beautiful image of a fully restored physicality. The focus of our eschatology which is a word that refers to the destiny of humanity, must be on the resurrection, restoration of the physical, material world, not the escape from it. If this is all new for you, or just a lot to take in, I recommend going and watching that Bible Project video in full. There's also an extremely compelling ebook, a free ebook by N.T. Wright on his website called Resurrection and the Renewal of Creation. It's only 20 pages long, well worth your time, and it's free, so no excuse. <laughs> Jesus' ascended reign is our call to fully embrace his earthy mission. And Jesus does not leave us to do this work without help. He, from his throne, has sent the Holy Spirit, who compels us to continue our mission, watching in prayer, waiting in faithfulness, and working hard for the kingdom until the day when our king returns and all things are renewed. We are called into this work with him because the work we do in this age will flower in the age to come. We are to be agents of renewal now, witnessing to the work that Christ has done and will do. Luke doubles down in his narratives. The ascension of Jesus is the end of the story of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the story of the church in Acts. It is the moment where Jesus is exalted to the throne of heaven and begins the great work of reuniting our space and God's space. A work that his disciples participated in and we are called to do the same. The disciples knew 
the ascension was important. So did the rest of the early church. And so should we. So as a way of practicing that and affirming the importance of the ascension to our hope as Christians, we're going to try something together as we wrap up. We're going to recite that Apostles' Creed together that I read out at the beginning. So if you could please stand with me and we'll confess together what we believe and hope in. It's kind of long, so we'll see how this goes. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And with that, we're going we're gonna to move to the communion table as we do each week. While we do that, I'm going to leave you all with one last beautiful quote from, from my readings on this topic um, to help you talk to Jesus in this moment of communion. Cherith V. Nordling writes, The ascended Christ is our loving and living hope. His glorious humanity both guarantees our future glory and mediates our present broken beauty both of which we celebrate with him at his table. So we're going to leave this quote up on the screen and I'm going to read our call to the table shortly. Um, but I encourage you, uh, as John plays beautiful things over us, um, to take communion and talk to Jesus about this. And if from that quote, the, the statement present broken beauty sticks out to you if there's something in your life the yoke that Shelley talked about the house that Dan talked about that you would consider your present broken beauty um, myself, Dan anyone else on the team would love to pray for you um, and feel free to tap someone on the shoulder next to you and ask them to pray for you as well and if you don't if you don't feel like that present broken beauty is, is particularly present and emphasised for you this morning I encourage you to, to bring before Jesus the stuff that's going on in the rest of our world, the, the brokenness in India, um, the hurt that so many people are currently dealing with still, that we have the privilege of not having in our country. Um, so yeah, we're going we're gonna to come to the table and then we're going to spend some time receiving the glorious humanity of Jesus. We hui in the name of Yahweh, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. At this table, Turangapai is embodied. At this table, we remember the victory on the cross. We rest in his presence now and every day. We hope for the future that is to come 
when all things are made new. So come, Christ welcomes us all. There is always more room. Room for friends, old and new. Whether you call him friend yet or not, he already calls you friend and has set a place for you. The invitation is yours. You may take your place. May this meal embody his grace that feeds you every day. Jesus, as you became the bread broken for us, may we become, through your grace, the bread that is broken for the world and the cup that is poured out for all. That we might play our part and take your table beyond these walls. In the name of Tamatua, Titama, Metewairua Tapu. Amen. So there's three communion tables around the room. Um, go grab communion, come back to your seats and take it in your own time and spend some time talking to each other, talking to God, and I'll, I'll wrap up in a few minutes.